In episode one of Conduct of Becoming, we learned that Deputy Steve Calkins of the Collier County Sheriff's Office is under investigation for his mishandling of a traffic stop with Terrence Williams, who has since gone missing. It was learned through a refiled complaint that Deputy Calkins had already been cleared in a separate conduct complaint investigation for his actions on October 14, 2003, when he responded to a traffic accident involving Felipe Santos, who also disappeared. In each instance, Calkins says he dropped the men off at a Circle K gas station. And neither of these men have been heard from or seen since. Our story continues on February 6, 2004, after Terrence Williams has been missing for nearly a month. Investigators from Internal Affairs assigned to review the complaint against Calkins speak with Terrence Williams' stepfather, Terrence Bug. According to Bug, the family had gone to great lengths in their efforts to locate Terrence, contacting friends and family members in different states. To eliminate the possibility Terrence was in hiding, or on the run from law enforcement, an avenue that police had explored. The Bugs had also spread the word of Terrence's disappearance to the local media, and in Tennessee, where Terrence had lived before moving to Florida. Would you be able to give us uh, some names and phone numbers of folks we could talk to up there? Yeah. Who would be willing to talk to us that maybe you could say, hey, you know, investigators from Internal Affairs are trying to help you know, it's okay to talk to us. Okay, well, the, the, the people that he would call are calling us. Uh, Terrence has probably 200 cousins uh, throughout various states, throughout states of Georgia, Tennessee, uh, uncles in, in Washington, Seattle, uh, Daytona, uh, Michigan. So, you know... <clears throat> All of those people are in constant contact with us. Everybody in the family wants to know where he is. Uh, I can give you names and numbers to call not without a problem, but they, they are all calling us. You know, if they knew that he was missing, somebody would quickly call and tell us. Uh, he, I don't think he could convince anybody to go along with, that, with anything like that because this information that we have here has been spread throughout Tennessee because I, I spoke to some family members of my own in the media there, and we have a story running on, on the television there and also in the, in the daily newspapers in Tennessee. So everybody in town knows that he's missing, and everybody's been calling us for the last seven days, which was the time that I got the information back to them. When our sister left here, I sent our packet to take to the media there. So. Everybody there is already aware that he is missing and they are already calling to ask us questions about, you know, why is he missing. So, In this clip, Bug informs investigators that he visited and viewed surveillance video at the Circle K gas station, the same station Calkins had said that he dropped Terrence off at. The audio quality here is a little choppy, but according to Bug, at no time was Terrence captured by any cameras near or at the Circle K gas station that day. Uh, I, I viewed the videotapes at the Circle K from 8.30 a.m. that morning 
Finally, Bug speaks at length about the dishonesty and changing stories that he and Marsha received from Culkin's reports, as they tried to get answers about Terrence. This is where we hear a version of events Culkins gave prior to his written account, where Culkins indicates he found Terrence's car abandoned and found Terrence walking and picked him up, as opposed to pulling him over. Bug also disputes Culkin's claim that Terrence's Cadillac was having any mechanical problems. You know, I, I really have one police officer who's not being truthful to me, and, and then I run into a captain who's not being truthful to me, and I, 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 maybe it's too much television, but I don't want to see that, you know? We don't want to see that yeah, either, you know, but the I, investigators, the investigators... Right, and they told me that yesterday, that they didn't have anything to do with the captain. You know, they've been charged with this case and, right. and to work it in. It's unfortunate that that had to happen with with higher ups. Mm -hmm. Back to what you were talking about with Deputy Caucus. Now you talked to him. Never got to talk to him personally. You talked to somebody at dispatch or at whomever dis who uh, had talked. All to I know is her name was Kathy, and she she worked at dispatch, and she made the phone call. She said that she knew Deputy Caucus when we found out what his name was, which they found out that in Tennessee they told us. We started to make calls into the department. Nobody would say anything. And uh, then uh, they got this lady to talk, and uh, that's what she told us, that he admitted to seeing him, and then throughout the course of his day, he saw the car, and he had it told. He said it was abandoned. But you were led to believe that he'd never stopped him. He just found an that's abandoned it. car that's what and saw Terrence walking and then gave him a ride. That's the way it was told to us the first time. It was only a, it was eight days later. You know, it was the 20th that we found out that there was a report. Now my wife and I searched for a report from the first time that we heard that he was stopped. They had no no report in Central Records. Uh, nobody within the department said that there was a report. The first time we found out there was a report was on a Monday. They said they had a report. Um, when we went to see Captain Weiss that day, he gave us a copy of the report. I have, I have that copy, and we read the copy of the report, and at that time we had already had witnesses' statements from them, so we compared the statements from the witnesses to the report, and the story, the two stories that are told have no similarities. They have no similarities at all. He's, even in his statement, he's denying that he stopped him. He's saying that I, I saw him having car trouble, and the car has no trouble. I drove the car home a couple of days ago, and it was in rush hour traffic, and I lived 23 miles from where I picked the car up. The car didn't stop, it didn't sputter. Uh, I stopped to get gas, it started to rain. The only problem I had was the windshield wipers are old, and they, they need to be replaced, that's it. As their investigation intensified, 
Internal Affairs was made aware of two radio calls Calkins made to dispatch on the day Terrence disappeared. The first radio call occurred at 12.49 p.m. In the recording, Calkins asks dispatch to do a VIN check on Terrence's car. second radio call occurred at 1.12 p.m., 25 minutes after the first radio call. In this call, Calkins requests a check run on Terrence's full name and date of birth. radio calls are significant pieces of evidence for many reasons, and many of the details need to be remembered and held on to for later. In the first call, Calkins suggests that Terrence's car is abandoned, which we know is a lie, not just from eyewitness accounts, but from Calkins' own report that he read into the record when Terrence was reported missing. In the second call, Calkins is having a check run on Terrence's full name and date of birth. The date of birth Calkins gives over the radio is April 1st, 1975, which is not Terrence's actual date of birth, but a fake date of birth that Terrence would provide to law enforcement in the past any time he was in any kind of trouble, a detail Terrence's family and friends were aware of and what acknowledge came from his distrust of police. It was also a joke of sorts to give police April Fool's Day as his date of birth. There's another important takeaway from the second call. We knew early in this case that Terrence was driving that day without a driver's license, so the only way Calkins could have provided that fake date of birth is to have gotten it directly from Terrence after his car was towed. Investigators now know that Calkins has lied in a written report and contradicted himself at least three times. On February 11th, Deputy Calkins met with internal affairs investigators. By then, his homey Cadillac radio call had been leaked to the local media. That call, along with the inconsistencies in his reports involving Terrence, who had now been missing a month, sparked local outrage and widespread interest in Terrence and Felipe's disappearances. This increased the pressure on the Collier County Sheriff's Office to not only do a thorough investigation of Calkins, 
but to also hold him accountable to higher standards for his insensitive remarks in the radio call. Because this is an informal meeting, Calkins isn't aware that he is being recorded, and investigators don't tell him even after he asks. It is here that despite his homie Cadillac radio call being in the news, that Calkins calls Terence and Felipe scumbags. Um, I don't want to see him. After speaking with his union rep in Tallahassee, Calkins returns two days later to be interviewed by Internal Affairs. The audio begins with small talk between the investigator and Calkins. Now keep in mind that the investigator speaking to Calkins knows that Calkins lied in his written account of what transpired on January 12th. But because it's important to keep Calkins talking, he does not confront him on those lies. Instead, he engages in small talk to build rapport and trust. This makes it easier for the investigator to transition from that small talk to the investigation. It is then that the investigator provides Calkins a copy of the bug's complaint and allegations against him. Telling you, this traffic. 
outsiders from different locations. They're conducting their own quasi-investigation. And telling me that I'm inconsistent, and I, I just don't think that's fair. I don't, I mean, I can't remember every little thing I did right there. <laughs> I really can't, but I, I... Channel 7 News, and my wife is upset, and just, 
It made me angry, but I, I can hack it. I can take it. I'd be remiss if I didn't show it to you that I'd be in violation of 112. I mean, it's not done to upset you, but so at least that you get an idea of what we're listening to. Frisk, I didn't frisk anybody. See, they're getting... They're talking to the cemetery people, the Circle K, the NAACP. They're getting all these things in their heads. They should have just come to me. Can't they just come and talk? That's too late now. But could they have before? They could have come to some Why not discuss? You know, I told my wife a hundred times, you know, if that had been my son, instead of running all over the barn, all around the town, I'd have gone back and talked to that deputy at the substation the next day and say, hey, talk to us, what happened? And I'd have been glad to talk to him. But not now. Not after, not now. Now I'm a little angry at him. Especially after I've been on Channel 7 News, prime time, being accused of uh, shoddy report writing right on the air. I mean, I mean, I can live with that. But Jesus, you know, that's my wife and I both agree. Why didn't Why didn't they just come to me right off the bat? Makes sense. Instead of going all the way around, I'm sure the lieutenant would have let let, let me talk to him. But no, 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 I'm angry. No, no. This is a. I mean. It just tells me that they've done this stuff before. They're too quick to uh, to uh, attack. They're too quick to accuse. It, it just because if this had happened to my kid, I'd have gone right back to that deputy, and I'd have gone right back to to uh, the beginning of it all and talked to that deputy. Hey, what's Can up? you tell me about my son? Please. What's up? Let's go to dinner. Talk to me. <laughs> that's just that's the way I feel about it. But when I see when I see it on the news, that pisses me off. They talk to everybody in this town except me. You know. In the beginning of that clip, we hear that Calkins refused to take a polygraph, using an off-duty injury that happened to his hand as an excuse. It is only when faced with the growing pressure of the investigation and increased media interest in the case that he agrees. Calkins also tells the investigator that Terrence's parents should have come to him to ask what happened on January 12th. Again, Calkins' unaware internal affairs has already spoken with Terrence's parents, and they know Calkins lied to the dispatcher and in his first report that does not match eyewitness accounts. Next, the investigator will offer Calkins the chance to read the sworn statements from the cemetery workers. You won't hear it in this clip, but there's a surprise waiting for Calkins. As it turns out, one of the cemetery workers was a retired police officer. It's during a short pause that Calkins sees this. When he speaks again, he says that doesn't bother him.
like I say, I do have the sworn statements from the, uh, the, the Bugs had the three people at the cemetery write what they observed. If you'd like to read them, I'm more than happy to. Uh, well, what they saw and what happened was two different things anyway. Doesn't really matter. But if you need that to refer to. What they saw and what was really going on, you know, are two different things anyway. They don't, that doesn't bother me. At the end of that clip, Calkins was provided a Garrity warning, which is similar to Miranda rights, except that it only applies to government officials at the federal and state level. Calkins can choose to remain silent or give his version of events from January 12th. Any deviation discovered in his version of events will be considered deception in lying during an official investigation. Calkins signs off on the Garrity warning, agreeing to provide a statement for the record. Before doing so, he is sworn in. This is Sergeant Mike Coble with Fire County Sheriff's Office. Today's date is February the 11th of the year 2004, and the time is approximately 1.48 p.m. This is a tape sworn statement taking place in the PRB office in reference to allegation member misconduct case number 04-016, and will be the taped sworn statement of subject member Corporal Steve Cook. Sorry, I should raise your right hand. You solemnly swear the testimony you're about to give will be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. I do. Prior to starting this tape statement, I showed you a form called Garrity, you read this, understood it, and signed the bottom. Is that correct? Yes, I did. And I allowed you to read um, allegations of misconduct completed by Terrence and Marsha Bug, um, both on an allegation form and then self-typed. Is that correct? Yes. Tell me what happened. Miss Kolf, where you were at, how you made contact with uh, Terrence Williams, and, and what transpired. So I cut that clip off a little early because Calkins reads his initial report word for word. Which is surprising, because by reading it into the record of the investigation, Calkins is now locked into that version of events. It also becomes his official response to the bug's complaint, as well as a permanent part of the investigation findings. So now, any deviation from those events can be seen as dishonesty. Immediately after Calkins reads his report, the investigator tries to have Calkins make sense out of his timeline because it does not match eyewitness accounts. Are you sure about the times? And, and here's only why. The three folks that were inside the cemetery all put you back, making the first contact with him sometime between 9.30 and 10 o'clock. And these are the calls you were on and from seven o'clock in the morning, and I mean, you're busy. And I don't see a, a time period in there because you were back over there at 12.27 when you, they freed you from this call when you towed him, uh, towed that vehicle. And I'm just trying to get a feel for, because I, I don't understand the calls and I know what they say, but 
because all three of those folks um, in their in their sworn statements that they wrote down said that they recalled and, and the car being in there but they all put you there between 9 30 and 10 o'clock I don't think so I mean, seeing that you can see from there when they printed that out in dispatch how busy you were, I don't know where yeah. there's enough well, time in there to... That's quite a bit here. Um, Mockley Road and Airport had somebody pulled over. Around, yeah. uh, what's that, 9.50? Uh, 8.47, you pulled one over at 9.50. And, uh, and you gave him a ticket. Wrote him a ticket. Ten oh three, and then you went to Sugar Magnolia on a nine one one hang up, or at least were dispatched there. Mm -hmm. And that was a Zulu at ten twenty two. Ten twenty two Zulu from Sugar Magnolia. Now let me stop and think for a second. Sugar Magnolia. Trying to think of kind of where exactly that is. I don't know where it is either. Regardless, you couldn't have done it in yeah. three minutes because then they sent you. Sent a, down to a suspicious person at the reserve at Naples, and that's way down on uh, Pine Ridge Road towards I-75. Yeah. That's on the southern tip they, of our. Went ahead and freed you, and then they, they had a minute, two minutes later, a 21 Romeo, possibly in progress, priority one, and then they freed you from that one at 10:30, and then it's Tory Lane for another 911 hangup, and they exchanged it with one Alpha 31. And yeah, Tory Lane's in Pelican Bay. Okay, somebody picked that up, mm -hmm. and now it takes us up to. Um, uh, uh, 2132 alarm at the Alonghi residence at um, 1125 and then I guess 1500 picked that one up. Okay. You exchanged with them and cleared. And now 81606 is another 13 piece. Suspicious person. And uh, you, you were cleared from that just as quickly as they want to give it to you. And now uh, you're at another 911 hang up on Vanderbilt Gulf side. If, if it rings a bell. Vanderbilt Gulf side is a Vanderbilt Gulf side is a high rise on Gulf Shore Drive, I believe, down by the Vanderbilt Inn. And you worked that because clear up to 1224 when you cleared it to see Charlie. Now they got you originally sent to another alarm at the Dresher residence, and I think they freed you from that at 12:25, and then two minutes later you're back out over on Vanderbilt to tow that vehicle. Hmm. So that's why I, I can't see a spot in this. I can't remember. <laughs> I know we were busy that day. Well, we've been busy right along here. This is the season, but I I'm trying to think back of some of these calls, and uh, I can't. Uh, all I know is my contact with Terrence was only four or five minutes. Uh, I don't know how those people figured I was there. I don't either. I, don't I mean, I know my time might be off a little bit, but I'm, I'm not a couple like of hours. I said, I said approximately 12, 15 hours. It might have been around, oh, I always head for the substation around noon. That's my time to go to the substation. 
uh, when I possibly can for um, lunch. A lot of times I try to eat lunch close by or at the sub. Uh, I always take my own lunch. I can't be that far off. I, I don't know how they got me there at 9.30, 10 o'clock. That's, that's almost impossible. So I want to note here that the investigator was already prepared to question Culkin's timeline. Because he already knew that there were significant gaps in Culkin's radioactivity on that day, he brings up the sworn statements from the cemetery workers, who all say that Culkin stopped Terrence between 9.30 and 10 a.m. Culkins disputes this, but remember that early in this investigation, Terrence's friends and co-workers all said that he left the house sometime after 6 a.m., which would line up more closely to the interaction between Terrence and Culkins being early in the day. According to Culkins' radioactivity, he started patrol at 7 a.m., and issued a citation at 10.03 a.m. near the cemetery. After that, he was either released or cleared from calls up until he had Terrence's car towed at 12.47. Then, at 1.12 p.m., Calkins uses his Nextel telephone to call dispatch to run Terrence's fake date of birth. After that, 53 minutes pass before Culkin's next radioactivity. On March 30th, Culkin's was brought in to take a polygraph, which he agreed to take voluntarily. You will hear the term PRB here, which refers to the Performance Review Board. Okay, you know why you're here today? Yes. And what's that? I gave someone a ride and he disappeared. Well, first of all, I want to make sure you completely understand that this polygraph is strictly voluntary. Voluntary, okay? This polygraph is not a PRB polygraph, where you know where the sheriff can command you to take a polygraph. This is a volunteer polygraph because it is involving a person that has disappeared. Alright, so I want you to read this consent form very carefully, and if you agree to take this polygraph, it's strictly voluntary. It's got no way affiliated at all with a PRB investigation, where you are commanded to take one. Follow me? Okay. You know, the most important thing today is that you do not lie to me in this room today, all right? That is the most important thing. Secondly, the only thing you know about when you're taking an oath and you've taken sworn statements, you know what the charge can be about that if you have lied, correct? On a statement which is perjury. You understand that? Okay. Now, today's exam is going to be very simple. We're going to have a conversation about January 12th and this somebody by the name of Terrence, who is, who is now missing, okay? And it's going to be strictly about you pick, you dropping him off, okay? Just that incident only is all this exam's going to be about. 
So at any time, Steve, you got any questions, please make sure you're at, uh, you ask them. I don't want you sitting in that chair wondering about anything, okay? This is uh, because it's from our conversation that I'm going to make up the questions, all right? So what's going to happen, we're going to I'm get a little bit of preliminary information from you, and I'm going to tell you how the polygraph works, what to expect. Then you and I are going to have a conversation about January 12, 2004. It's from that conversation that I'll make up the questions. We will review them together. You're going to know every question before I even ask you. Then we're going to take a quick break. I'm going to hook you up, and then we're going to do the exam, okay? Is this televised? As far as being recorded, yes. The audio is going to skip around a bit from here, which I did intentionally because a lot of the pre-exam audio is the examiner explaining how a polygraph works, and it includes the examiner's build-out questions, which is where he creates questions for the exam that can only be answered yes or no. To do this properly, Calkins has to once again go over his version of events from January 12th. This time, he is not allowed to read it from a report. He has to use recall. But some of the polygraph questions will test his written version of events. So let's talk about Monday, <clears throat> January 12th. First of all, I know this has been shown to you before. Terrence Williams. Do you remember him? Is that the same Terrence that... That picture, I don't know. I don't. I've been shown that picture a couple of times. I don't you, just, know. you don't know? Well, I get, is it fair to say on January 12, 2004, you did yeah. did you did deal with a black male by the name of Terrence? Yes. Do you know if his last name was Williams? And if you do, you do. If you don't, you don't. <laughs> he rattled off his his whole name, but I only remember Terrence. I remember Terrence, okay? Well, this is Terrence Williams, okay? And this is going to be the same citizen that you helped out on the car. I guess his car broke down? His hair wasn't slipped back like that in the picture. His hair was draped, gotcha. his, like the dreads around his face. Well, matter of fact, it looks like it's in a ponytail there to me. That's the reason it's not draped. See it in the yeah, back? He probably does that for work yeah. or whatever, yeah. All right. So tell me about January 12th and how you came in contact with Terrence Williams. I was on patrol. I came up behind this car. Where was this at? Vanderbilt Drive North, County Road 901. Were you going north or south? I was southbound. I was headed for the substation. Okay. And uh, his car was... Uh, Slowing down. What kind of car was it? It was a, it was an older model, full size, white, uh, Cadillac. Well, okay. All right. What happened? And I, uh, he went like this, and uh, it was slowing down, and I, I motioned for him to just pull over anywhere, and uh, he was having car trouble. 
obviously. All right, so you didn't have your lights on or nothing like this? It's not like you were doing a signal 75 no, traffic stop? No, I wasn't. You were just, in other words, you're just southbound and you come up behind a vehicle, is what you're saying. Okay. Yes. All right. And um, he pulled into the um, uh, Memorial Gardens Cemetery parking lot. Then I think Did you realize he was having car trouble, or you just didn't know? That's it's what, just a, no, that's what it looked like to me. And, what, and how did it look like that? What do you mean? It was driving. He was slowing down, and it was driving real slow. Okay. People usually fly up and down that road. <laughs> now, he was slowing down way ahead of the stop sign, and uh, like he was having car trouble. And What's that called? Naples Memorial Gardens? That's Naples Memorial Gardens. Okay. Right there in the corner of 111th and uh, Vanderbilt. All right, so you pull in there and you and you pulled in behind him. Okay. I right. pulled in at an angle. Uh, he he parked. He pulled in to one of the parking stalls and I came in kind of at an angle. And I hit my my uh, lights. I think I hit the first portion of my lights. Okay. I, I can't really remember if I hit my lights or not. I'm pretty sure I did. Okay. And I yelled at him. Okay. So, what was your conversation with him? Uh, I just yelled if he uh, he was breaking down. If he needed some help. And what did he say? I mean, what was your conversation? Well, it wasn't much of a conversation. He said, yeah, I appreciate it. And he got out of his car, and uh, I got out of my hand. Okay. And, um, I said, what's wrong with your car? He says, I don't know, I just bought it. And, uh, it's not running right. Do you have any ID on him or anything like that? I didn't ask. You didn't ask? No. Okay. What do you want to write to, did he say? Well, I said no at first. Okay. <laughs> I said uh, no, I'll call you the cab though. Okay. I, wanted, I wanted to get to the substation. <laughs> So what happened that you didn't call him a cab? Yeah, he asked me again, and he was asking real nice. And he said it was just up at the Circle K at Wiggins. Did he say he worked there or what? Or he just asked for a ride to go there? I just assumed he worked there. I, okay. I, we didn't have a real big conversation. Okay. Alright, so he asked for a ride to where? Circle K okay. at Wiggins Pass in 41. Okay. All right. So then what happens? I said, get in, we'll go. Did you pat him down or anything like that? I asked him if he had any. He was real clean. Yeah. Clean cut. 
fairly new clothes look like. Do you got anything? He said, no, no, no. I said, well, let's shut the door in your car. You got to come back and get this car. He said, he would. And I said, get in. Buckle up. Let's go. You put him front or back? Back. You didn't pat him down? No. I, I think I might have just uh, did a backhand on his waist. He had some baggy pants. I think he had some new, looked like he had some new blue jeans or blue pants. So you checked his waist, but not a full pat, uh, pat down? No, no. I, I, okay. What was the situation with the car? Do you remember? Was he supposed to come back and get it? Or? Okay. He was going to arrange to have it towed or what? Yes, I guess. That's what I told him to do. He said he would get a tow truck or get some of his friends and, uh, and get it out of there. Okay. Alright, so you put him in the back seat. And then. Which way did you go back to Circle K? Uh, I went. Um, I went back up uh, Vanderbilt. Okay. Vanderbilt North. So Vanderbilt to Wiggins Pass. Mm -hmm. Cut over. And you dropped him off at the Circle K. Yes. Did you, did you go inside Circle K, or did you just drop him off? No, I just, I just dropped him off. Then we went. The way you get into the Circle K is you, is you go through and you go like you go into trailings. Yeah. And then there's a place you can make a U-turn here and then come back because that place is the traffic's always yes bad there jammed there yeah. real bad. So I just dropped him off at the dumpster there. And then he thanked me very much, and uh, I told him again. I said, "You need to, you need to get your car as soon as possible." Did you? Did you? I'm I sorry. assume you were. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Assumption, assumption. It's all about. It's all about just being truthful in here. That's all. Okay. So, did you? If he, did you notice if he went inside or not? Or once no, you dropped I, him off, you had your final words. You just left. Yeah, I took off. Now, what time in the morning did this happen? <sighs> Best of your recollection. It was right at noon. Okay. It was right around noon. Uh, if this was happening. A little afternoon. Alright, so once you dropped him off, how did you end up getting back to the car? What car? His car. His car? Well, I went I went back down Wiggins because the traffic was bad and I went back down Vanderbilt. I was gonna go to the sub again and then uh, I figured I'd pop in there and let um, the office at the Cemetery, know what was going on. I, I, I just pulled in quickly and, and yelled at him that, uh, that they'd be getting the car out of there right away. 
Did you, who'd you talk to, you know? I don't remember. Some guy was standing at the door. Then what happened? Well, at that time, I, uh, I noticed the tag was, uh, expired. Okay. Because I pulled in right behind the car this time, and, uh, And um, I got out, and I figured um, I'd check the glove box real quick, because he said the uh, receipt and the um, registration was in the glove box. in and open the glove box and it was empty. And then I noticed the keys were on the uh, floorboard. and I went and called the tag in and um, she said it was no record found or non-registered unknown make and model if I remember correctly So at that time, I went back to the Circle K okay. to look for tenants. Or did I call? Wait a minute. <sighs> I can't remember. I either ran back up there or I called her on the phone. Okay, so you either went back or called Circle K. Phone book in my car. I keep. Okay. I either ran back up there or I called on the phone okay. to ask for Terrence. Okay. See what was going on. Why would he leave the keys in his car? All right. And uh, Terrence was nowhere to be found. Does, did he work there? Do you know? I called. Uh, no, I, I called the girl on the phone. I think it was a Hispanic girl I got, and I asked for Terrence. Okay. And she says, I don't know any Terrence here. Now, so you think you called them? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's what I did. All right. I can't remember. That's fine. Whether you go back or not, the point of it is, <laughs> Terrence doesn't work there, right? Yeah, that's, what that's, that's what hit me in the head just like this. Okay. <laughs> All right, then what happened? Well, then I became a little angry <laughs> with Terrence and myself, and uh, uh, I called for a record. Okay. I said, I'll fix him, I'll tow the car. <laughs> mm -hmm. So you called for a record and the vehicle was towed? Yes. 
Now, did you check out with him when you first pulled in or no? That's a good question. <laughs> I don't think so. Okay. I, I was wanting to get to the sub and uh, the bad old habit of mine. I don't always check out with the ABs. Okay. And uh, I think I, uh, I can't remember exactly when I called it in. I either called it in uh, when I was dropping him off or... Uh, I can't exactly remember. Is this the first what, time? Uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. That's what um, Mike was asking me, and I just, I couldn't, he said there's a little time period there. I think I ended up, it was either 12.15 or 12.27. There's a couple of numbers there I can't. That I was talking to uh, the guys about when I actually called it in. I don't, I don't remember exactly when or how I called it in. Is this the first time you've ever laid eyes on Terrence? Yes. Okay. And you dropped Terrence off at Circle K? Yes. Did you drop Terrence off anywhere other, anywhere else other than the Circle K? No. Do you know the whereabouts of Terrence? Right now, today. Right now? No. Well, that's going to be some of the questions I'm going to ask you. I'm going to just ask you, Did you? are you lying to me when you said that you dropped Terrence off at Circle K? And you'll say what? What's your answer to that question? If I asked you, are you lying to me when you said that you dropped Terrence off at Circle K? Did you drop Terrence off anywhere else other than the Circle K? No. Do you know the whereabouts of Terrence? No. Okay. Because like I said, this is an honesty exam. I'm going to be asking you honesty questions too. Because I'm going to take you back before this incident. I mean, are you the type of guy that, that lies? In other words, you ever just told a bald-faced lie to your supervisor? And I'm talking about something serious. I'm talking about other than, oh, I'm five minutes late because of bad traffic. Probably. Yeah, but I mean, something serious. Something serious? Yeah, I'm talking about something serious. I'm not talking about just, yeah, hey, uh, you know, yeah, uh, Sarge, I'm, I'm ten minutes late, but meanwhile, though, I was on the radio. Meanwhile, you you left the house early or late. You know what I'm saying? I'm talking about something serious when I talk about lying. And I mean, there are some acceptable lies. Sometimes we lie to people not to hurt their feelings, and that's and, and I'm not talking about those type things. You ever lied? You ever lied to cover something that you or someone else ever done? Probably. Yeah. Like what? I don't know. <laughs> Anything serious? No, of course not. Okay. No, I don't. Have you ever lied about anything that you could still get into trouble for today? No, I don't think so. Okay. Those are the type of questions I'm going to be asking you. 
Is there anything else involving this incident involving Terrence Williams today that I failed to ask you about you need to tell me about? I think so. When did you find out that Terrence was missing? any other other than what you did on Monday have you done any other follow up investigation on this like going back to the car or anything else like that I, I called um, I called Coastland Towing okay. to uh, see if anybody picked it, if Terrence had picked the car up yet I think that was uh, Sunday when I got back to work. Sunday is my Monday. Um, so this is almost a week later? Yeah, just about. That's after you heard that Terrence was missing? What towing company was that? Coastal? I think it was Coastland. I can't remember exactly. I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure it was close one, I'm not sure. Okay. Exactly. So why did you do that? Nothing. Mm -hmm. Just to see if he I just called out I just called to see if Terrence had picked the car up yet. I called okay. Coastland. I don't know what time it was, but I talked to somebody there and he said no. Okay. Anything else? Um I went up to uh, uh, the Circle K and asked can't remember the manager's name I went to the Circle K and asked what's her name <laughs> uh, the manager if, uh, if she knew him or had seen him. What she, does she? Well, when I mentioned the, um, when I mentioned the dreadlocks, she 
she said that she um, has seen him in there before. But he don't work there? No. Okay. And then she showed me a, uh, she showed me a, uh, I don't know what day this was. I don't know if this was Sunday. For Monday, she showed me a poster, a little missing persons type yeah. poster somebody had made up. I guess the father had been there to talk to her, okay. and uh, and he'd left a bunch of uh, uh, flyers. Okay. That's the word I'm looking for. Um, have you seen this man? There's a couple of pictures of... Uh, Did you recognize him from those pictures? <laughs> they, they, uh, they showed me those at work and I, 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 didn't, uh, I didn't recognize it. 100% I can't. I just can't. I understand. And what do you... Uh, so I told her to keep in touch with me if, uh, if he comes in the store. Uh, I, left, um, I left my card to the uh, manager and I told her to call me or call us okay. if uh, if Terrence comes to the store. She said he, she remembers him because of his uh, dreadlocks and, and he's always very soft-spoken and very nice. Okay. He's a gentleman and um, uh, I think that's all I'm okay. trying to do. Let's get back to this line to supervisor. When I asked you about line to supervisor, what come across your mind? Oh, nothing. We were always joking around. No. I'm talking about telling a ball-faced lie now. Have you ever done that? To my supervisor? No. Okay. No, we're too good of friends. I would never lie to my supervisor, Mike. I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that to my supervisors. Alright, well what we're going to do, we're going to take a break. Why don't you go use the restroom if you have to. I want you to get a drink of water, relax for a couple minutes. I'm going to be back here making up the questions. Once I get them made up, I'm going to come back and get you. Then you and I are going to sit down and talk about them and review them together. Okay? okay. And then, uh, then we're going to hook you up and do this exam. All right. The most important part of this recollection is Culkin said he went back to the Circle K to look for Terrence. Then he stops himself and says, he called to see if Terrence worked there. It's this part of Culkin's timeline that will be a central focus of his post-exam results. There is no audio available for the exam, only the results, which are then given to Culkin's. Sorry it took so long, but the problem is, is that there are so many distortions in those charts. What... What are you thinking, though, when I ask you, do you know for a fact the whereabouts of Terrence? What's coming across your mind? Anything in particular? What are you thinking about? What am I thinking about? Yeah. What do you, when I ask you that question, what are you thinking about? Do you know for a fact? I mean, when, when you did your own little investigation, anything come up? I mean, or what are you thinking when I ask that question? Ask it, ask it again. Do you know for a fact the whereabouts of Terrence? What do you think? What come across your mind when I ask you that? 
one came across my mind. Yeah. Do I know the whereabouts of You know for a fact the whereabouts of Terrence. Are you suspecting something? Even though I told you it's not, I don't care what you suspect. Fact is, do you know? Do you suspect something? What do you suspect? What are you thinking about? Nothing really. Do you have your own idea, maybe, where he's at? I got a lot of ideas, but I don't know. I mean, what's your ideas? Oh, I don't know. He, he might be, uh, he might have fled the country. Uh, he might have got hurt. I, I don't know. He might, uh, what do you mean you got hurt? Leave some bad friends? I, I don't know. I don't know. Nothing in particular is coming across my mind, but I, uh, you know, I can't say that I don't think about it. I just, um, God only knows what could happen out here. Yeah. I just hope nothing bad happens. I, so I, he was he was with me last. I just yeah. I just hope nothing bad happens to him. But I know how some of these characters can run. And, sure. And uh, I hope he didn't uh, hurt himself or get depressed or anything thinking that that I'm coming after him or something because I'm not I've stressed that many times I'm not there's, there's not a warrant out from for him from us and he didn't do anything to me he just he just he just you know I, I you know I was a little angry there at the car for a couple of minutes you know he duped me is what he did but he's a, he's a smooth talker but I'm not coming after him you know I just hope he didn't go out and hurt himself or anything or, or, or do anything stupid. Well, what about the war? What do you mean? Well, what's this about a war? Does he think he's got a war? I think he does. I think somebody told me that they thought there was a war out of I, Chattanooga, Tennessee, I think is where he's from. Oh, but you didn't have that information first. No. That no, day. No, no, this no. is something after the fact. No, yeah, that I've been thinking about. No, that day, nothing happened. I, I, now I'm thinking, you know, I, I hope he didn't. I hope he hasn't uh, run away or hurt himself because he's thinking I'm coming after him. I guess yeah, but would a guy really hurt about. himself if they think you're after him, Johnny Law's after him, you know what I mean? Well, it, it, if he's a criminal and he doesn't want to go back to jail, or if he's on probation or something, I, people run. People, I don't know. Yeah. Of course, they do run. That's for sure. He was running his way. Maybe I. I don't know. I just. Uh, I feel. I feel bad because I screwed up, and I feel bad that all this shit's coming down in the S.O. because of me, and I feel bad that uh, I know his family's. Uh, Upset and worried, but uh, I mean, he seemed like a nice kid to me. Even if his hair was a little wild, he seemed like a nice. He was very clean cut and, and very uh, soft spoken and clean cut. I, I just, uh, I guess that's what I'm thinking. I just, I, I just hope there's nothing. I just hope there's nothing wrong with him. Because of me. And when you say because of you, you're thinking because he's thinking that you know that he's wanted, or he thinks he's wanted. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. 
right, well, usually we have an answer for you. Uh, the situation is this. And when I just said, I could just tell there was some reaction to that question, you know. Uh, it's going to take a while longer because there's a, a scientific numerical scoring, but there, remember there's a, several charts that we had a lot of distortions on memory because you throw some stuff. So the thing of it is, the worst that's going to happen is that you may have to come back because we don't make a call unless we got good clear charts, plain and simple, okay? So it's nothing negative whatsoever if you have to come back. It's just one of those things that happens out of my control and out of your control. It's just not clear enough. It's just not clear is, is the thing. I mean, you're doing pretty good, but the problem is, the problem is, is that at this point, I just can't clear you. And, and I, won't, I don't want you to walk out of here thinking that you failed it. Um, because I'm not saying that whatsoever. But the fact of it is, we got to have those clear charts. And we just, several of them just ain't because of those distortions, okay? So we don't make bad calls here. So when we call somebody, we call them. Whether they're you know, telling the truth or whether they're telling a lie, okay? So when you walk out of here, I don't want you to think, oh my God, I failed the polygraph, because I'm not saying that whatsoever, okay? It's just that we got to do our job, and that's my job. Uh, and the only situation is that we could have got that throat thing squared away. <laughs> it may not be an issue at all. But uh, So the worst that's going to happen, there'll be a decision. You may have to come back, and it's, it's going to be basically the same thing. It's just about dropping them off and this and that. Uh, all right, because now you see it's not about, because uh, this has got nothing to do with a, a PRB investigation or anything else, and it's got nothing to do whether you didn't radio in or anything. It's just about the whereabouts of, the, of Terrence Williams. So keep that in mind, and then we'll let you know, okay? And meanwhile, though, don't forget you're on the clock. You just put it on your time card, okay? Any questions for me? But we'll yeah. let you know one way or the other. It's just that it's well, going to take the, me a while longer. What do you What do you uh, What are you going to do with this information? Then? The information goes to Investigator Stevenson's because he's the one that's doing the investigation. That's where the information goes. Remember that consent form? That's the reason you've seen Investigator Stevenson's right. name on there. That information goes to Investigator Stevenson. So he's doing a missing persons investigation. Investigation, and I'm 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 a part of it naturally, and uh, so this uh, was to clear was to clear you from that investigation. You're not going to be the only one taking a polygraph on that. Fools. But some other people, not here, not in this agency, but other people. So, but yeah, that's. The purpose of this today that you volunteered for was to try to clear you. And, like I say, but I don't want you walking out of here feeling bad because if we could have got, God knows how this could have turned out if we could have got, you know, if your throat didn't start bothering you and stuff, okay? Because yeah, cause a couple of those questions you seem to be doing pretty good on, but then... You know, that's the problem. We got to have clear charts, and bottom line is we don't make bad calls here because it's just as easy to do redo it. Okay. Okay. So keep that in mind. All right. All right anyway. Got any other questions for me? No, sir. All right. All right.
Because Calkins volunteered to take the polygraph and to keep him cooperating with the investigation, the examiner doesn't want to tell Calkins he failed it, even though he did. The distortions in the exam were due to Calkins consistently clearing his throat when specific questions were asked related to Terrence. Those questions will be the focus of another polygraph that Calkins will take and the results will lead to a confrontation. And on the last episode of Conduct Unbecoming, more is learned about the day Felipe Santos disappeared. From eyewitness accounts, Deputy Calkins must answer for his inconsistent statements and lies. Because when you answer that question, Steve, you're just not being truthful about that. They're trying to clear you, Steve. They're not trying to find you guilty of something. They're trying to clear you. But you keep giving them half-truths and you keep no, going back no, and visiting things. And will we finally learn what happened to Felipe and Terrence? The fact is that every time we ask you a question, we have to go back and get clarification. And every time we have to go back and get clarification, it makes it look like you're trying to hide something. And if you're trying to hide this, what else are you trying to hide? Do we got a body laying around in the sticks somewhere that we don't know about? You don't want to miss the conclusion.